What's going on guys? Hello and welcome into another episode of Behind the Catch Fence, episode 5. I'm your host, David Hoffman, coming to you live from the Man Cave in Big Riverville, Pennsylvania. Yes, I still need to post some pictures of the Man Cave. Yes, I will get to that as soon as possible on Instagram and Twitter. And before I begin, I'd like to give a quick shout out to No Copyright Music on YouTube. They're the ones creating the music that I'm playing. It's obviously no copyright music, so it's free. I'd like to thank you guys for that. With me being a broke college student, I'm grateful for you guys. Go subscribe to them. No copyright music. On today's show, we have a packed lineup here for everybody. We have the NTT IndyCar Series heading the Texas Motor Speedway. I will go over the DXC Technology 600. I'll give you my winners and losers of the Texas Motor Speedway race. I'll give my thoughts on the race weekend overall. And I will give you a inside look at my wild Texas trip. <laughs> and uh, thankfully I'm not feeling too much jet lag, but although yesterday I will tell you one thing, I would have loved to get this podcast out on Monday, but however, uh, yeah, it's just, it didn't work out, period. I was feeling terrible. I slept for probably 12 hours straight, so that was fun. Now, now I'm feeling like 100% and let's go do this thing. So let's get right into it. I'll do a quick recap of the NTT IndyCar Series DXC Technology 600. Uh, Takuma Sato was on pole with Scott Dixon starting alongside him. The opening stint would be clean and calm with green flag pit stops beginning around lap 60. On lap 61, coming in for a green flag stop, leader Takuma Sato would overshoot his pit box, clip a crew member who was Chris Welch, and then he'd proceed to hit the inside pit wall. It would put Sato and the team behind the rest of the race. Then Ryan Hunter-Ray would take command of the lead after pit stops. And then on lap 134, the first caution of the race, Zach Veach would tag the wall coming off of turn two, breaking the rear toe link and sending him around. On lap 204, Team Penske's Joseph Newgarden would take over the lead after running extremely quick laps before and after his green flag pit stops, as well as pitting for fresh tires after the Vizak V-Trek, so he was able to click off quicker laps and make up his way towards the top five. On lap 220, it would be a caution for Aeroschmidt Peterson Motorsports' James Hinchcliffe. Hinch had just gotten around Alexander Rossi for fourth, but was a little too high up in the gray area of the racetrack and it snapped the car around, ending another stellar day for James Hinchcliffe. With 23 laps to go, Scott Dixon would get to the outside of Newgarden on the following restart, and they would touch wheels, which would force Dixon to check up just a little bit. Three laps later, 19-year-old rookie Phenom Colton Herta would stuff his Honda down into the inside of Scott Dixon for second, but the two would collide and wreck in turn three. What had everyone in all, though, of the wreck was Alexander Rossi's onboard camera, which, ex with his extremely quick hands on the wheel, where most drivers probably would have lost it, Rossi somehow was able to sneak by the wreck and hang on and catapult his way up to second. Then with 13 laps to go on the final restart, Joseph Newgarden and Alexander Rossi would decide it between the two of them. Rossi would get to the outside of Newgarden multiple times, but would not be able to complete the pass, and Joseph Newgarden would notch his third win of the season, extending his points lead to 25 over Alexander Rossi. And now as we look at the results, Joseph Newgarden was your winner, followed by Alexander Rossi, Graham Rahal, rookie Santino Ferrucci 4th, Ryan Hunter Ray 5th, Indy 500 winner Simon Pagano 6th, rookie Marcus Erickson 7th, Sebastian Bourdais 8th, Will Power 9th, and Marco Andretti 10th. And as we look at the standings, as mentioned earlier, Joseph Newgarden has the points lead, followed by Alexander Rossi, Indy 500 winner Simon Pagano, Scott Dixon 4th, Takuma Sato solidly 5th in points, followed by Will Power in 6th, Ryan Hunter Ray 7th, Graham Ray Hall 8th, rookie Santina Ferrucci 9th, and Sebastian Bourdais tied with James Hinchcliffe for 10th in points. And with that, it is now time for your favorite segment of this entire show, 
it's winners and losers of the week. I'll go over the top three winners from my perspective and then my top three losers of the week. Again, none of you guys are losers. I'm just throwing out, you know, who had a good weekend, who had a pretty bad weekend. So we'll start off with winner number three, Alexander Rossi for Andretti Autosport. Rossi could easily be on this list every single week, let's face it. He was able to notch his third second place finish in a row, and even though he'd rather have those second place finishes be wins, he's really helped his championship cause because of it. Rossi has become that driver you always have to keep your eye on, no matter the track, because he's simply that good. One thing I took away from being at the DXC Technology 600 this past weekend is that it seemed like he was one of the only drivers on Saturday night that had a strong enough car, as well as some iron gonads, to make passes wherever he wanted to on the racetrack. What topped his second place performance off was his incredible save avoiding Scott Dixon and Colton Herta's crash late in the race. I'm not sure any driver in the field would have been able to save that race car. Rossi continues to be a force to be reckoned with, and he's quickly become one of IndyCar's elite. Winner number two, Aeroschmidt-Peterson Motorsports' Marcus Erickson. Last week's second place finish in Detroit Race 2 was extremely impressive for the rookie. However, a big test for Erickson would be if he'd be able to back it up the next week at a difficult place like Texas Motor Speedway, a place where Erickson had never raced before. I mentioned it last week on the show to keep an eye on both Aeroschmidt-Peterson Motorsport entries in Marcus Erickson and James Hinchcliffe, and they both delivered. If it wasn't for a late race crash, Hinchcliffe probably would have earned a top five, if not maybe even a podium finish. Marcus Erickson is starting to get a good feel for driving an IndyCar, and I may be going out on a limb, but I think Marcus Erickson might be a winner before the end of this season. He's had three solid weeks in a row, dating back to the Indianapolis 500, and even though a mistake on pit road cost him a good finish in the 500, he was running in the top 10 before that accident. Watch for Marcus Erickson down the stretch of the season. He might surprise some people. Oh yeah, winner number one. Man, I gotta start sending out t-shirts or stickers. I'm gonna have to get on that. So hey, maybe we'll have some t-shirts ready uh, within my mid-Ohio maybe so I could uh, hand those out to uh, my my winners here over the last couple weeks. And with that, winner number one. Drum roll, please. Santino Ferrucci for Dale Coyne Racing. After coming off of his first race leading a good number of laps, Ferrucci continued his impressive rookie season with a season-high fourth-place finish at Texas. Like Marcus Erickson, Ferrucci is really starting to get into a groove of things, and I won't be surprised if Ferrucci added his name to the list of 2019 IndyCar winners. He's in a great spot right now at Dale Coyne Racing, and he's able to learn from legendary driver Sebastian Bourdais. Needless to say, IndyCar's future is extremely bright with Santino Ferrucci, Marcus Erickson, and Colton Herta on the rise. Oh no, here we go. It is time for our top three losers of the DXC Technology 600. Ah oh, man, I don't want to call these guys losers, but it would be kind of hilarious to call them losers in person, and then give them like a loser's t-shirt or something. <laughs> I'll have to think of that and maybe use my uh, pea-sized brain and see what happens. But anyway, loser number three, AJ Foyt Racing as a whole. There was plenty of optimism for AJ Foyt Racing going into Saturday night, with it being a home race for the team, as well as their typical success on high-speed ovals. With it being Tony Kanaan's 369th career start, it tied AJ Foyt's career total in starts. Expectations were higher for the team as a whole, but all they did was put up two terrible performances, with Kanaan finishing 16th, three laps down, and Mateus Laced finishing dead last, 175 laps down. Here's what A.J. Foyt had to say to Robin Miller of NBC about their recent performance. You guys have struggled all year. Can you turn this thing around? Well, we're working at it. We're going to have to make some changes. I mean, got to a point that uh, I can't stand what we're doing. I think my son Larry feels the same way. I mean, 
It's no enjoyment getting blowed off like we are, and we're just not going to tolerate it no longer. The entire team has been mediocre at best for years. Your best driver you've had over the past couple years has been Takuma Sato, and now look where he's at. Racing better than he ever has at the age of 42. If anything needs to change at AJ Foyt Racing, it's the ownership. AJ Foyt Racing needs a new owner and president. Both AJ and his son Larry have done their absolute best, and their best as of late has been backmarker quality equipment. I have nothing against AJ Foyt Racing, but their performance has been absolutely awful and something needs to change sooner rather than later. Moving on to loser number two, Ed Carpenter Racing. After an outstanding month of May in Indianapolis with all three entries, expectations were high going into Texas. Ed Carpenter Racing always seems to be fast at tracks like Pocono, Texas, and Indianapolis, but on Saturday night, they had mediocre performances all around. Ed Carpenter, who only runs ovals in the number 20 entry, never seemed to have the speed all weekend, and he would end up 13th, two laps down. Spencer Pickett, who has been making major strides in his second full season in IndyCar, finished 14th, two laps down as well. Overall, it was just an unusual and disappointing weekend for Ed Carpenter Racing, and even just watching qualifying, they never seemed to have the speed, even in practice. They had middle-of-the-pack type of cars, and I don't know if it was just an overall off weekend for Ed Carpenter Racing, but that was a real surprise of the weekend for me. Uh, moving on to loser number one. Man, this is the second week in a row he's been on this list when he takes the top spot once again. Loser number one, Felix Rosenquist. <laughs> I honestly believe this is a first for behind the catch fence. Two weeks in a row as the number one loser of the week. Hmm. I wonder what we could give out if you're number one loser of the week for consecutive weeks. Maybe we could send them a poop emoji poster with the behind the catch fence logo on it. Hey, that actually might work. Yeah, maybe even the, the behind the catch fence logo on the poop emoji for like on a t-shirt or something. That'd be interesting. I'll have to look into that. Anyway, after a mixed bag of performances in the duel in Detroit last week, the pressure began to build. With Chip Ganassi telling both of NBC's Paul Tracy and Townsend Bell that he just might go pay Alexander Rossi whatever he wants next season, Rosenquist had to begin straining together great performances close to that of teammate Scott Dixon's. Well, Texas was not a great start by any standards for the rookie. Rosenquist would end up being a non-factor all night, starting a dismal 16th and finishing 12th two laps down. I really don't understand how the two CGR cars can be so off in terms of pace and performance. We all know Scott Dixon is one of the best to ever do it, but Rosenquist is so far off in terms of performance. I can't put my finger on exactly why the two are so far off in performance. There's no doubt Rosenquist has all the talent in the world to run well each and every week, but it doesn't seem to be clicking on all cylinders right now. No matter how you're looking at it, Rosenquist days at CGR are numbered right now, and if he doesn't begin straining together great finishes soon, there will be a new driver in the 10 for the third year in a row. Oh yeah, you know what time it is now? It's time for me to uh, talk about my extremely amazing trip to Texas Motor Speedway. A little crazy, but oh, here it goes. So basically, my dad and I woke up at 3.30 a.m. on Saturday morning, drove to an airport, and then hopped on a plane around 7. We got to Texas around 1, got our credentials, and we were off to the garage area. We were just in awe of the garage access that Texas Motor Speedway gives the fans. I didn't expect to be able to walk into the actual garage and be so close to the teams working on the cars. I've never been around a sport that gives fans this much access, and I commend IndyCar for doing this. You really got an inside look of how the crews get the car prepped and how they work. I probably spent a good four hours just strolling around the garage area getting autographs and having small talk with some of the drivers. I will tell you one thing, the heat was absolutely ridiculous. Within five minutes of being in the garage area, I was already soaked in sweat. 
with the heat index being around 100 degrees, I felt like I was in a sauna. Thankfully, since I'm paranoid about being hydrated, I was completely fine. Now reverting back to the track, I've never been to a racetrack that's as well organized and as well laid out like Texas Motor Speedway is. It definitely is up there in terms of outstanding sports stadiums. It's not your average racetrack, and I'll definitely be heading back to the track sooner rather than later. Hats off to Texas Motor Speedway for putting on a great show and giving the fans a great experience. The race would roll around at about 7.45, and I was, and, uh, I was fortunate enough to watch an amazing show put on by the drivers. And after the race, with Joseph Newgarden being your winner, we would leave the racetrack around 11.30 p.m., head to IHOP of all places, and have a good old-fashioned pancake breakfast. It was my first time being at IHOP, and it was definitely worth the hype. We would leave IHOP around 1 a.m. and end up in the Bucky's Super Convenience Store parking lot. We had to kill time before our flight back home that was at 6.45 a.m., so we ended up dozing off in a rental car for a couple hours in that Bucky's uh, parking lot. Those were honestly the longest couple hours of my life. It was beyond boring. I was dead inside, straight up exhausted, all sticky from the sweat combined with sunblock, as well as putrid smelling shoes. Needless to say, I needed a shower, desperately. We finally hopped on a plane around 6.45 a.m., got home around 1, and then I slept for a solid 12 hours the following night. So would you guys think I was crazy? Yeah, maybe. But it was freaking fun, I will tell you that. I mean, yeah, if I were to do it differently, I would definitely go for a couple days, maybe uh, fly out on a Friday morning, stay at, stay at a hotel, and then leave, you know, Sunday morning at a decent time. But yeah, that was definitely an experience I will never forget, and it was just another great IndyCar experience that makes me even more hungry to get and reach my goal of being a sports broadcaster for NBC or NBCSN in IndyCar. Now it's time for everybody's new favorite segment on radio and podcast platforms, Shut Your Fuel Cell, dumbest Twitter comments of the week. I scroll through Twitter comment sections, which in 2019 is the last thing you ever want to do, and I'll read some of the most ridiculous ones I've read over the IndyCar social media community. Now let's start off, there wasn't a lot of dumb comments this week, so thankfully IndyCar uh, fans and the IndyCar community, they're pretty smart this week. I'll call this person uh, DJ. DJ is replying to the post IndyCar made about uh, Alexander Rossi's comments on finishing second the last couple weeks, and he said, we're always playing the bridesmaid as of late. And this one person commented on that post, dude won the 500 as a rookie. Excuse me while I don't feel sorry for him at all. I mean, that seems kind of irrelevant to comment that. I mean, yeah, if you're Alexander Rossi, you're you're hungry for a championship. That's as simple as that. Yeah, I'd rather have three consecutive wins and three consecutive second place finishes. Anybody, anybody that, you know, that's competitive, even remotely competitive, wants to be able to at least, wants to have three great finishes of first. That's That'd be great for the championship, but, you know, it just hasn't happened and there's nothing really he can do about it. And obviously it's going to be frustrating. But this person... It, Bringing up the Indy 500 back in 2016 when he won it as a rookie, I could care less. I mean, that just seems kind of dumb to me. Excuse me while I don't feel sorry for him at all. He's a competitor and a racer. And every racer, it, the last thing they're thinking about right now is a, is a win that they had how many years ago. So that's just an irrelevant comment and it doesn't make any sense. All right, our next one. This was about an article on Santino Ferrucci that IndyCar posted. And this one person replied, I'll call him Clark. <laughs> this person, Clark, commented... Also a racist that should be banned from all motorsports, but that's none of my business. I, I'm sick and I've been reading too much about Santino Ferrucci and his past. Yes, yeah, so what? He made a couple mistakes. We all make mistakes. The thing is, you can either move on from it or you can continue to live in the past. And a lot of people are stuck in denial of the past. 
Then as we need to look at it right now, Santino learned from his mistakes. He seems to be, you know, a great ambassador for the for the whole sport of IndyCar. He's loving it in IndyCar. He hasn't done anything dumb, you know. I think he's learned from his mistakes, and I love watching the kid race. He's a hell of a wheel man, and I honestly feel like Santino Ferrucci, he's going to be a champion of this sport pretty soon. And the thing is, if GQ, this is kind of interesting, a couple years ago, back in 2010, GQ, they uh, wrote an article about Santino Ferrucci when he was when he was way younger, and they said, you know, he's going to be the next big thing. When GQ writes an article about you, yeah, you got to take notice of that guy. Santino Ferrucci has all the potential in the world to be a great champion, a great ambassador for IndyCar, and I could care less about some of the stupid crap he did back in Formula One and when he was younger. So quit bringing up some of the BS that he did back in a couple years ago, because it's irrelevant right now. All he's doing is good things for the sport, so shut your fuel cell, Clark. Now here's another interesting comment. This person, I'll call him Russell. Russell commented on the Alexander Rossi save. Russell said... Alexander Rossi should have won. Penske winning is getting too predictable. Starting to feel like Formula 1 some days. I was excited to see the finish of this one up until New Garden took the lead and sucked the fun out of it. You're seriously going to start comparing IndyCar to Formula 1? I mean, how many different winners have there been in Formula 1 the last two years? And then as IndyCar has more different winners in one year than Formula 1 has in the past pro almost probably four years. That's ridiculous, and we all know IndyCar is the premier motorsport in the entire world right now. People just need to get on board with it. Yeah, Team Penske, they're, they're a great team. Great owner and Roger Penske, they know what they're doing. And the thing is, teams are using Team Penske as a measuring stick to where they're at, and if they're able to compete with Team Penske, which a lot of teams can and they will, then you're doing something right. And the NTT IndyCar Series competition level is at an all-time high, and I have no issue or concern with Team Penske winning, you know, a couple races in a row here or there or anything else to that matter because you can't beat this kind of competition. So, uh, Russell, shut your fuel cell. Oh boy, here's probably the most interesting one that I just love to read. This person, I'll call him JC. JC was replying to Texas Motor Speedway's post of, this town has a new sheriff with Joseph Newgarden shooting the, the uh, pistols, which is a tradition in Victory Lane at Texas. JC replied, he's a left-wing wacko. He and his girlfriend hate guns. I'm surprised he did that. He's a hypocrite. Oh, come on, man. We're really going to bring politics into this. If you know anything about me, I hate politics in general. Politics are just completely pointless, and I don't even like to read anything. I hate seeing politics in any sport, and the last thing you should do is be bringing politics into IndyCar. So what? It's freaking cool. No matter what... You know, you matter your stance on gun control or anything else. It's freaking cool to be shooting those uh, those uh, pistols in Victory Lane at Texas. It's a tradition that's been there forever. And then if the cowboy had as well, the last thing I'm thinking about is, oh, I can't be shooting those off because I hate guns or blah, 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 or my stance on politics. Man, that, that you know, it's just stupid in general. And JC, you need to shut your fuel cell. Oh, and here's one more interesting comment of the week. I'll call this person David. I, I'm, trust me, it's not me. I would never say this to anybody. So this person, David, said, Paul Tracy is the worst. He's too fat to see the track. Oh, my gosh. We're really going <laughs> to... The last person I'm going to call fat is Paul Tracy. Paul Tracy ain't fat. The dude's just straight up yoked. Like, beefy, he's the big dude. And the last person I'm going to mess with is Paul Tracy. He was a freaking good race car driver, I'll tell you that. And... That's just an irrelevant comment, and Paul Tracy, <laughs> there's no way he's 
anywhere remotely fat. He's just a beefed up dude that no one wants to mess with. So I wouldn't want to say that to his face. Just to set you straight there, David. So uh, David, just to, just to recap, just shut your fuel cell. That's all we have for today's show. Next week, the NTT IndyCar series has a week off. So in the next episode of Behind the Catch Fence, I'll go back through the first half of the season, answer key questions from the season so far, and look ahead towards the rest of the season. I'll have some interesting segments for next week's episode, so stay tuned for that. Before I go, make sure to follow this podcast on Twitter at Behind Catch and Instagram at Behind underscore the underscore catch underscore fence. Yes, I still need to change that. I'm going to continue saying this until the end of time because I'm probably never going to change it. But anyway, thanks for listening. I'll catch you guys later.